So the inciting incident for this episode of the podcast happened this July, and I've kind of been thinking about it more or less ever since. Not on a daily basis, but quite a bit. One of those tweets that you just see and you don't really forget because it sort of crawls into your skin and makes you furious all the time. So John McTernan, a former political strategist to Tony Blair, and a famous airhead whose claim to political fame involved being questioned for selling knighthoods to private equity goons, tweeted, I am literally in favor of liberal democracy. It created the welfare state, smartphones, the minimum wage, supersonic travel, human rights, and equality, the fourth industrial revolution, paid holidays, craft beer, rising living standards, and techno, and so on. Plus, it defeated communism. <laughs> this tweet... You can hear a derisive laugh in the background because this tweet made me so fucking angry. Not only because, I mean, I don't know, it's not as though the organized labor movement delivered us paid holidays, which literally is not liberal democracy, but techno is specifically, it's specifically anti-capitalist music. And John McTiernan is just showing himself to be, Kel Surprise, a complete fucking idiot. Aloysia, what do you think of that? <laughs> just the overall tone of the tweet is kind of insane but i mean the one i guess like the one percent of that was right i guess technically techno was born from that kind of realm especially i guess just being from the midwest there was there's definitely like very specific class things that could only cause the birth of the specific genre in terms of just like poverty um, people just being bored and kind of wanting to see them seeing themselves like not in a really good position and want to see further into the future. But I don't know about the rest of that description. Sounds like a <laughs> load of bollocks. <laughs> oh my goodness, you're getting you're getting you're getting British English over here. <laughs> Aloysio Wilmoth, he Valencia, uh, techno DJ, world traveler, record spinner, and trash future guest. Hello. Hi. How you doing? I'm good, I'm good, especially because we've actually highlighted what I think is the fundamental point of John McTernan's tweet that almost as ever, he's right for totally the wrong reasons, because yes, techno d was created by capitalism, but only in the sense that it was created by the dialectics imposed by capitalism. We can't exactly credit it. Uh, yes, that's right, everybody. I've done what I've been threatening to do for a long time, and I'm making you all listen to this techno episode, because I'm going to explain to you why it's good and guitar music is boring. <laughs> I wholeheartedly agree. Once again, and welcome back to Trash Future, the podcast, how the future is trash. That's right. I said the intro again. I haven't for like eight months, but I felt like it today. I'm Riley. This is a special one-to-one -one episode. Uh, I'm here, like I said, with Aloysio Wilmoth. He Valencia on Twitter. He underscore Valencia on Twitter. You can find him on SoundCloud. You can find him on Resident Advisor, or you can find him in the DJ booth. Aloysio, how are you doing? Doing pretty good. Um, nice and healthy, happy. Today's actually my birthday, so just got back from the EU, uh, went to Berlin and Amsterdam and Iceland, so I had a pretty good taste of European interpretation of techno, so can't complain. Yeah, because that's one of the things I find so interesting is that like a lot of people, even like Europeans, think of techno as sort of European music. But it's sort of not quite right because it's it is it has such sort of deep roots in America. Yeah. But we sort of 
I feel like we've kind of almost forgotten that in its sort of really tense history from sort of the 80s in Detroit as it sort of expanded through America. And then after electronic music sort of fell out of favor in America among sort of the mainstream anyway, sort of was kept alive in Europe before sort of being returned. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think part of the reason why people think that techno is a very European thing is because even back to the um, foundations of house music, um, the Europeans, they were like the first people to really embrace and actually bring over a lot of Midwest artists. So, for example, um, probably like iconic, like one of the most important clubs in the history of techno, a Trezor, um, they actually brought over all the Detroit guys like Underground Resistance, um, UR, Jeff Mills, Matt, Mike Banks, Robert Hood, etc. in the early 90s. And when they brought over those guys, that kind of established this kind of transatlantic relationship with techno because they were the first ones that just kind of booked them put out their records and they created this whole thing so i guess throughout the years just seeing i guess the whole industry remain pretty solid and strong over there people tend to kind of think that techno is this very kind of european thing i mean i have a lot of theories and then another theory i have is because um electronic music it doesn't have a face so compared to like mm-hmm. other styles of music like hip-hop rock or whatever you tend to have like rock stars or rappers as the forefront there's this image you can see whereas with electronic music you don't really have a person you see it's more of like this thing where the dj's kind of like taking a step back and it's more about the music well it's this it's it's this it's a very unique thing where when you see a dj perform only some percentage of the songs they're performing will be songs they've actually made. So it's partly curatorial and partly sort of production. Precisely. I think before we, before we leap into that, I kind of want to almost start from the very beginning. Because, look, I could, I could get very annoyed with uh, people in my socials, <laughs> people in my day-to-day life, just relentlessly misunderstanding what techno is. Um, and, and and a lot of them are like, oh, it's just repetitive beats. How can you listen to that? It's so boring, et cetera, et cetera. And it's like, you're very, very, very wrong. You're so exactly. fucking wrong. Um, this, this, in fact, this entire, this entire episode is just a subtweet of the entire British left. Um, but in one sense, techno is quite simple sort of to define as a set of generic conventions. It's like four kick drum beats in every quarter note, a snare hit on the back of every second quarter note, and the strike of an open hi-hat every second eighth note. But one of the things I really like, there's a, there's a book I, I enjoy that I've read called Techno Rebels by Dan Sicko. Um, and he says like that trying to define techno, which like this, just on the basis of how you arrange the notes, is sort of quite wrong. It doesn't really capture the essence of what it really is. Or if it does, it does it in the least important yes. way. Yeah, I... Um, so I think with that, it, it's very true. Like whenever I actually would try to explain techno to people, they'd be like, yeah, this sounds repetitive and it is the same. I mean, it is repetitive, but I think that's where the context of um, a club comes into play. So to actually, I mean, because like for me, before I even started going to venues, clubs, warehouses, etc., um, I would just always like listen to stuff in my room. But to actually physically hear and feel these records in that kind of space 
um, the way you interact with it, your body it just takes it on a whole other level. Um, a lot of it has to do with just the sheer amount of beats per minute. I mean, a lot of dance music ranges from around 125 to 140 beats per minute. And these are ranges that the body naturally kind of moves on to, whether it be like the heart or just, I don't know, just like overall physical rhythm. It's almost kind of tribalistic, mm. almost animalistic, you know, very, it's very primordial, very ancient. <laughs> One of the things that, that I also enjoyed was like, yeah, it's, it's this sense that sort of you can let it in the right context, in the right mix, sort of, I, I've heard, like, I've, I've, you can, I've heard Ben Clock mix like old funk songs in between sort of two, um, between sort of two, sort of what you might consider much more sort of traditional down the line uh, techno tracks. And it, it sort of works. There is, it, you're right, there is that, that environmental piece is so important to it. But also, I feel like techno, and this is sort of where we might get to the politics of it a bit, um, it expresses a sort of pent up feeling for me. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it, it's the yeah, release. it's funny that you mention um, DJs playing like funk or disco, because I mean, with techno, it's essentially just a natural evolution of those styles people trying to i guess replicate or recreate that kind of not necessarily live band but the feeling that um that you would get from like these old styles of dance like that whole funk trying to recreate this humanistic quality with inside a machine mm, because it's and i think it's no coincidence that sort of techno was born when sort of detroit um in fact, black teenagers in Detroit tried to sort of reinterpret funk to sort of deal, to sort of fit with and deal with their environment where, you know, Detroit was beginning to slip. Yeah, it's just the natural evolution of the whole Midwest sound, you know, like the Motown, um, just, I mean, it's hmm. just like, it's just like that whole legacy of black music coming out of oppression, um, just trying to make something out of nothing. I guess to me, it it's almost like then this whole, like, kind of Afrofuturist interpretation of what their forefathers came before them. It's just like, okay, how can we take this and push it to the future or to like modern day, you know? Yeah. So I was, I think this is kind of where, where almost where I want to sort of start the story is with Kevin Saunderson, Juan Atkins, Derek May, Jeff Mills, these guys, they're in Chicago. It's the 1980s. And like, what are they kind of doing? What, 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 what's their scene? What's their scene like? What's going on there? Hmm. So those guys like the Belleville three and also um, a lot of people don't know, but technically he's the fourth member. Um, it's not really talked about a lot because he wasn't from Belleville, but Eddie Folks was also a part of their group. So a lot of these guys, they were actually um, going back and forth to Chicago and also interacting with Chicago DJs. Um, like the like Ron Hardy, um, just the just about when house music was being birthed. So I'm thinking, if I'm not mistaken, um, they were here in Chicago style, and they were like, okay, we need to come back and make our own interpretation. And so I guess their interpretation was to, I don't know, just take like this really like brash, like militant, kind of like futuristic vibe and just going with that because i mean detroit around that time was definitely like not the greatest place you know people were still recovering from the whole riots um automotive industry the whole industrialization was kind of 
falling down and people were getting slipping back into poverty and just trying to find like alternative ways to kind of survive in Detroit. Also, too, with um, Detroit, there's another thing. Um, Detroit, they also it also has a long legacy of house music um, that that tends to kind of gets overlooked. The main DJ that was his name was Ken Collier, and he actually used to DJ in a gay club called Heaven. And a lot of those DJs actually learn how to DJ from Ken Collier, like um, Delano Smith, Derek May, etc. He's definitely another important figure. But it's like this. I think it can't be. Also, it can't be overstated the importance of this music as um, a way for sort of almost like a, a subaltern group, like definitely a usually not like not well off like young young men mostly and not all not exclusively but it, that's where it started um to sort of to come together and to sort of have a celebration that worked for them and i almost wonder like can we i often think like and, and correct me if i'm wrong but like that that that's where sort of so much of the militancy arises because it must have been just so pressurizing to be living in the sort of managed decay of detroit in the 80s and 90s as a as like as like a yeah black definitely teenager. and then too with like it's especially with like all the i guess like with the state sanctioned violence of just like you know discrimination like police violence and then on top of that i'm pretty sure they probably had like teenagers whatnot who are also dealing with the whole aids crisis you're trying to you get like this whole just just like a whole soup of just frustration you know just everything just thrown in the mix Absolutely. And so like what kind of the, so what what kind of songs coming out of this period sort of could people listen to and what should they listen for in them? Um so at this time, I mean there were a lot of people there playing like the classics like Motown, like the funk, um Parliament and also too of Detroit. They have a long-standing relationship with consuming European music. So a lot of people people in Detroit, they were listening to like Italo disco, um crot rock and stuff like craft work and i mean to them even though they probably didn't know what these people look like it was just like funky and just good music so you were getting like a pretty good mixture it was just right when house music was being birthed so it's like the tail end of the disco era so you was getting like new wave all the funk classics um a little bit of crop rock uh italo disco you know generally stuff you would hear and like a space like Studio Fifty Four or whatnot, and then they're and they, they they take all this and they sort of put it all together, and then you it what comes out is just this sort of really interesting, measured, rational, balanced um, form of like it was I I read, I read it was referred to as um if Parliament Funkadelic got into a lift with uh with Kraftwerk. Yeah, it's funny you mention that. So I have this theory that okay so around that time hip-hop was also being birthed and it was like pretty pretty booming with like the whole electro stuff coming out of new york city so um one of my friends we talked about this a lot his name is a uh, maxwell cavaceno he's a pretty cool music journalist so we were saying that pretty much that i mean I guess like the basis of hip hop is electro and also the basis of techno is electro. The one main thing that makes these two different is where they split off at is hip hop or electro. It had a face to it. So, you know, of hip hop, people 
they dance or dress a certain way whereas techno it took the same roots and approach except it took a more brashly scientific and more militant um direction and people didn't necessarily want to put a face to it Mm -hmm. they were behind the music and so that's where you tend to get like this split off from them even though being from the same family tree so for example you have like stuff like africa bambada um egyptian lover i mean though this is stuff that people would play in sets with techno or whatever it has the same bases mm-hmm. well it's but it just it just splits off because people took i guess a more darker approach with techno yeah well it's the and that's what i find so interesting and one of the sort of tensions in in techno is that um it's it, it is much darker it shares roots with hip-hop it's much but it's much darker than hip-hop and i was reading um that uh, uh what was it? Um, Mike Banks was saying that uh, hip hop was the sound of the now, uh, while techno was concerned with the problems of the future, which was its own kind of agitation. And exactly this, but it's it's it, even though it is extremely dark, and I think it's much when it jumps over to Europe, it gets much darker uh, in sound. It is ultimately, I think, a very optimistic kind of music. Yeah. So I think one thing. When it hit Europe, the reason why you you tend to get like the um I guess more like industrial or darker kind of warehouse tones. So I think because once it's because I mean the Berlin Wall has not been down for that long. Mm-hmm. It's pretty young. So I say the early '90s. Once um the people from Detroit got over to Berlin, I think people's germans interpretation because around that time like uh, this like industrial music um like punk post-punk this stuff is like super popular in berlin even before the wall was even knocked down so when they saw darker aspects of detroit techno interacting with it i think they took that little thing and went all the way with it and created their own styles and i think through that maybe something might have been lost in translation is why you tend to get more things that are more, I guess, quote unquote, whitewashed, or it just keeps, they're more obsessed with like that whole like darkness industrial thing. Mm -hmm. Cause it's just that aspect of their music culture interacting with like the tail end of what they were first exposed to from Detroit. It's, It's pretty interesting just seeing how like, I guess even though like certain specific styles of techno would be born in Detroit, how people they would interpret it in different countries and just like keep going and going and going and going with different aspects. Keep going for 36 hours at a time. Yeah. Because, <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think it's in both of its iterations and sort of, in, well, not both, it's had many iterations, but in sort of the two iterations that sort of I'm concerned with because sort of we're talking about sort of the history in Detroit and I personally, like I'm a massive and sort of just sort of helpless devotee of the sort of more European style of the Berlin style. Um, But both of those manifestations, I see their roots as specifically like reacting to capitalism as we've discussed. Like it comes out of like the, the sort of, of the places in between um, the sort of the, where the market produces buyers and sellers. It's kids tinkering in their bedrooms. uh, In the case of the Belleville three, it's, um, it's guys just opening a club in the, in the basement of a uh, of an old department store that yeah people just, just squatting <laughs> yeah that, yeah that the department store just forgot about and they were like oh, we're just going to open a club here and they're like yeah fine whatever <laughs> and, and that was Tresor. um 
but and that it it sort of grew up in this environment and that but that ultimately what techno offers us is is an escape from the sort of fitting neatly into the market as a producer or a buyer yeah exactly um I, sometimes too i often think about like if it i wonder if it it's just sheer coincidence cuz just going to berlin and like seeing just how the the structure of the city is cuz like i would always be just baffled by when people they would always compare berlin to detroit in terms of just architecture but to actually go there and see it i'm like oh this makes sense like the whole like post industrial um just i mean even just the amount of space like in berlin there's like certain parts of berlin that straight up remind me of detroit where i could be walking for a couple blocks and not see a person for 30 minutes you see like old buildings just all cracked and blown out from like mortars or i don't know just completely abandoned very much reminds me of the midwest also that whole like post-industrial vibe yeah i think i think then it comes down to the fact that the sort of there there was deindustrialization was handled in two different ways in you know in, in in the u.s and in europe and in europe we created welfare states um, and I feel like Berlin does have that feeling of being kind of spaced out, of being sort of post-industrial, but it feels very sort of happy and sort of communitarian. And that's where I get the feeling sort of of, of techno music being sort of such a, I guess, positive thing. Um, yeah. Yeah. But one thing I want to go back to, this is sort of, this is something we sort of touched on is this idea uh, that of techno dealing with the problems of the future and of it specifically being a black vision of the future, sort of Afrofuturism being the word. You go into that a little more. Yeah, so I guess Afrofuturism, wow, it's like, it's, it's such a big term now because like so many people interpret it in so many different ways, in, in a good way though. Yeah, so I'm, I, I'm thinking that I think because like people they were like living in s such a destitute situation they had to like just kind of tap into I don't know like the deepest realms of their imagination just to kind of to ju just to kind of like get out of that it's almost like trying to find some kind of soul in a machine this, this it's it's so hard trying to explain no. like philosophically no yeah well, it's like it's it's the I think it kind of goes back to that. Um, it goes it goes back to that sort of I, I think imagination and that um, that 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 quote I pulled, which is that that hip hop is dealing with the problems of now uh, and techno is concerned with the future, and that it is I think because it, it's it's contained within that sort of that militancy. But I think if I was to say of any kind of music now that is most structurally similar to classical. It, I would say it's techno because it is so balanced and rational. Yeah, just like the whole structure of, um, I mean, because like techno, it, it's really only what, like 30 years old now. But I mean, just the whole structure of like this theory of how to build tracks, I've noticed compared to listening to other forms of electronic music, there's definitely like a very by the book way of how to build a track. And it very much reminds me of like classical, contemporary music of how you know you would have like all these composers they're like oh you have to follow this theory by i don't know tchaikovsky or you know some like grand prussian composer yeah it's definitely very very solidly rooted in 
pretty strong music theory. Yeah, but I guess that's why what I always sort of wondered if that's, and again, I'm, I'm sort of speaking out of school here, but if that's, and I was trying to think of what do they mean by Afrofuturism? I was like, maybe that's what that is, where it's, it's this sort of, sort of militant expression of like sort of almost utopianism through sort of a sort of a, this through sort of structure and force and so forth. Yeah. So I'm thinking, I guess my interpretation of Afrofuturism is looking for this kind of um, alternative future um, of how essentially like black people's relationship to culture like what would especially being someone who lives in North America who has that disconnect from Africa due to like the slave trade or whatever it's essentially trying to fill that that gap that would happen if um what if like what if the transatlantic slave trade never happened what if black people didn't have to suffer through history like what would be the implications if we were allowed to develop on our own and create like these various different cultures um, similar to what people would teach us in school about like European history, you know, like the great composers, the great architects and whatnot. Like what would happen if that gap was never actually destroyed through transatlantic slave trade, uh, capitalism, whatnot, you know, just pretty, pretty wild. It kind of, it very much reminds me of stuff that was explored in the most recent film, Black Panther, you know, if like Wakanda, yeah. you get like this just super futuristic city that was never tainted by um capitalism that would through slavery and whatnot they were allowed to like develop technologies on their own so to me techno is kind of like trying to interpret that trying to find that in through the music yeah and i think i like that's actually like the black panther um uh, comparison is one i was thinking of i mean I'm, I'm i'm always sort of wary of doing of sort of doing politics as consumption but i i really do think like that was the sort of the power of that film was it was like Wakanda answers the question, what if Africa wasn't colonized? What if the slave trade didn't happen? Well, sort of. Right. And I, I think that's a, that's a very good point. I hadn't actually thought of that yet. That sort of techno has been answering that question for like 30 years. Exactly. I think sort of jumping back from the theory into the into the history, um, we sort of see electronic music in general and techno specifically. Sort of flourish in the in in Europe, sort of throughout the late '90s uh, and the 2000s, uh, but it sort of drops off in America. In fact, you remember that weird that Eminem lyric, "Nobody listens to techno." Yeah, like, it feels weird. It feels weirdly anachronistic. <laughs> like it was right at the time, but now it just seems so <laughs> hilariously wrong. It was so ironic, considering like Eminem is from Detroit. You would think that somebody. <laughs> from yeah so i'm thinking um a lot of that had to do with um just labels not wanting to bank on dance music anymore so if you look at like the 90s specifically like the mid 90s up until i want to say maybe like 2002 2003 um you could like like every like major pop rap single or whatnot would have like a dance remix and like these big labels they will actually hire um underground producers to kind of remix the and make like a club single or whatever a pretty notable example is mark kinchin aka aka mk like he would always like remix so many pop singles and whatnot and i guess what happened labels they felt like with their pr teams they was they were just like why should we spend our budget on this dance music thing when we can pay something 
it put more money into like cultivating uh, another artist's image because they want something like visual, especially with like the whole MTV music generation when people started consuming music from more of like a visual standpoint. I think after that, it just kind of like fell off. But also with, with there, there was also the, the point of view, and I remember this just I was reading that book last night, A DJ Saved My Life, right? Where dance music for a while in the States was just not considered masculine. It was too gay, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, most definitely. Especially like when you look at the roots of it all, with, like the disco, with, like the gay clubs and whatnot, like Studio 54, um, just like that whole scene. I mean, it's in a sense, it, and, and I, I sort of noticed like what I was like, because I, I was always listening to dance music. And then I see like, um, I see sort of a lot, but like, and then a lot of people are like, oh, that's dance music is gay. I'm straight. I listen to, um, you know, the Eminem uh, records from after yeah. it got clean and, you know, jump around. Um, and then I think, I think what happened is, is dubstep happened and then it came over to the United States and Canada. And then everyone's like, oh, this is so hyper-masculine. There's no way this could be gay. <laughs> and now everyone's sort of, yeah. And now everyone's acting as though, sort of not everyone's acting, but, and then sort of, it gets sort of, dance music just has this sort of terrible renaissance where we end up with kind of this genre EDM getting sort of invented in America that sort of, I think, is completely the opposite of everything that sort of techno means. Yeah, EDM is such a weird thing because like, if you, I mean, if you look at the history of dance music, especially... I would say about maybe five or six years into when stuff was getting popular, there was always like major labels trying to co-opt the sound. Um, just uh, even like a lot of guys got ripped off trying to sign stuff to those different labels and whatnot. And to me, EDM is this weird. I think that's what to me EDM kind of is birthed out of this this void of people not necessarily being educated about dance music and because of that that big gap um people you can pretty much i don't know like sonically like gentrify or like co-opt and like completely write off a whole form of history because to me edm is is like the it's almost like this i guess it's like this answer to when you completely whitewash dance music and remove the racial um queer origins those different things you can kind of it's easier to sell to people oh, it's because you know we don't have to attach these different subcultures that people might not understand or be afraid of to it you know you can it's easier to sell to people it's it's such a weird thing yeah and 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 like the amount of sort of experimentation that you get in techno would just doesn't it the amount there or the extent to which techno is almost designed to sort of make you feel almost agitated, enervated, and a little bit uncomfortable, just it wouldn't at all make any kind of commercial sense. And I think, the, I think sonic gentrification is absolutely the right idea there. Because if you think of something like, 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 something like DVS1 yeah. or whatever, right? So for listeners, there is a, a sort of an incredible producer and DJ called DVS1. He's based in America, but he plays... Shouts out to the Midwest. <laughs> Midwest. <laughs> <laughs> Mid, Midwest techno fam. Uh, DVS1 plays like... He's, he, he'll have songs where um, the, where the sort of the timing of the individual layers of the song is actually different and off. And so what will happen is because, the, because certain instruments are playing faster than other instruments and, and other instruments are sort of slowed down, but it's done in sort of such a meticulous way that what will happen is the song will be three different songs over the course of that one song. 
but it will always be just a little bit off. Uh, in fact, Nate, can you um, drop in a few seconds of a, the DVS-1 track I'm going to send you? And it has that, and it, but it has that thing where it's just, where it's like you can see that, like even though this is made by a very sort of wealthy white internationally traveling guy, and it's played at somewhere like Bergheim, which is an incredibly successful business, in a sort of at least in a purely sonic sense, you could never make that. Yeah, it's like just too. Maybe it's like too. In into the head, <laughs> I don't know. It like makes people think too much because yeah. if you look at that compared to EDM, EDM is very, very, very formulaic. I mean, like I could just throw on a random EDM track and pretty much tell you when a drop is coming or whatever. It's like very predictable in the in a way. Yeah, and it's and that whole thing of the and the the build and drop and so on. I mean, techno has no need for that kind of sort of cheap trick. Because it's sort of there just rushing over you relentlessly. And that is where the excitement comes from, not sort of artificially created. Yeah, and see, I think that's what, in my opinion, makes a, a techno or other dance music within that room specifically different from EDM. Is there's this, um, with EDM, there's this lack of avant-garde that doesn't exist within within it. So with, still within like techno and whatnot, you get that experimental aspect of it but i mean it's still moving very body music but you still get that experimentation that people are afraid to do i don't know within like big dance music or just doesn't work in that context well when when you have to move of because the thing is i think look a lot of these the one thing i noticed about these sort of very commercially popular edm songs and i think it's important almost to note at this stage that there is a difference between sort of commercial popularity and something being capitalist, you know, but I, so I think we can get into that difference later because again, techno is full of contradictions because all of these labels are like exploiting labor. All of these clubs are exploiting labor. A lot of them are sort of very exclusive. Some of them have sort of quite dodgy, uh, especially in Europe. Some of them are a bit dodgy on race and all this, but I just putting, putting that aside for a sec, I do want to get to that Um, on the sort of EDM comparison. I think it's like, and EDM DJs are basically just creating a, pro- a product based on things they know will sell. Yeah. Uh, they know that people like singing along to songs they know. They know they like, but they also like taking MDMA now. And they don't even you know? take risks. So, like, the whole point of DJing is you're you're curating music. So people are trusting you to play music that they would like even if they necessarily don't have an idea of what it is when you look at with like the whole edm thing like the the sets they play are very formulaic people know what they're getting it's it's such a weird thing like the djs don't even take risks like even just the way they play music isn't necessarily even hard or technical they're 
I mean, like a lot of EDM sets are pretty much pre-planned. It, it's so weird. I'm pretty sure these guys, they probably like opened up like a Microsoft Excel spreadsheet or whatever and like plan the <laughs> DJ set. It's just like, no, that's not what DJing is about. Like DJ is about being on the whim. You're adjusting yourself every second. It's it's improvising very much like what people would do in certain forms of jazz and whatnot. You're adjusting yourself to the room. You're giving a part of yourself. You're taking you know, it's like this this weird balance. And at the same time, right? Like, cause that's 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 like 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 we were saying earlier. Like, like someone like like Ben Clock will just pop in a, a funk song in the middle of a set because it's unexpected, because it's but also because it fits and it's sort of it, it's building on what else is going on. It's not there for you to necessarily sing along to, but it's it's almost this very like intellectually challenging even though like you know a lot of people are pretty fucked up while they're dancing to it yeah <laughs> it is at the same time a sort of intellectually challenging experience to listen to it stimulating exactly it's not it's not just there to coddle you yeah it's challenging the room and sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't but the fact that i think a dj can feel comfortable to kind of throw those those curveballs is very much important to dj culture because, I mean, if once we get to a point where, like, people are are actively, like, getting mad at a DJ for not playing a set they expect, it's just like, okay, what are we doing? Why are, why are you even at the club, you know? Yeah. Well, it's the difference between an artist and a craftsman, right? Exactly. Or, like, a craftsman's just there following, following a template, whereas an artist, you know, no matter how much sort of the logic of capital has sort of seeped into what they're doing, an artist is still making something that's sort of expressive. Exactly. There's 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 a there's but, this there's this space um that people are, are allowing the artist to to kind of um I guess not necessarily congregate but occupate. So this it's like okay, we're giving you this space, we trust you to do whatever you want with this and just like this kind of undying loyalty. Yeah. Um I think that's exactly right. But sort of moving, moving, almost moving, moving a little bit, sort of to what I was sort of, sort of alluding to earlier, right? Like that's we. I think we we should be wary of um, just saying that for all of it, for all its roots, for all that it was born in illegal parties, and for all it was created as you know, expressing frustration with sort of managed decline under capitalism, and so the celebration of the coming together of East and West Berlin and in basements and all this. And for even all that it sort of provides that space now, um, we should be careful of giving, almost giving techno a, a kind of a, a, a free pass. Because, I mean, a lot, of these, a lot of these labels are, you know, have just commodified this thing. And again, on a lot of clubs, like, have decided to be, like, not a welcoming space for everybody, right? Like, like I think the Bergheim door policy is in some ways great for reasons we can get into but like i've also read that like you know they can sometimes be kind yeah of um i'm glad you brought that up so i've going there yeah i have like so many conflicting thoughts about it so generally um my perspective of door policy i'm not a very big fan mostly because it it, it has roots in racism and classism like the the whole origin of door policy literally comes from like jazz era people not letting like black people dressed in a certain way because or even like the musicians because they know they would play like a certain form of music that wasn't acceptable and even up until now like people just stereotyping uh people 
accept expecting somebody to be more criminal based on them i don't know wearing like a certain kind of hat or pants or whatever it's like this it's there's this, it's this way of policing people through a culture because you're expecting oh a certain gang member he wears this color or whatever we don't want him in a club or even with the whole classes thing we want you to dress this way because we want you to look like a certain um bracket of people high class people or oh, they dress this way basically this whole like assimilation we want you to assimilate to our space it yeah it's total crap you know but i think it's in i think i think in, in techno door policies are a little bit different not necessarily less problematic but like the uh, the bergheim one for example you know if you if you go if you queue up for bergheim like you know dressed sort of just nicely and looking like a respectable member of society there's no chance you're getting in um, and I was sort of, I was reading about this, uh, more and more, and I was sort of thinking about it. I even like, yeah, once, last time I was there, I even asked, <laughs> I, I even like was asking some people who worked there. I was like, so what's the deal with this? Um, and they were like, look, their whole thing is, is they want to use the, they want to use their door policy to, um, keep out like gangs of English lads in sort of collared shirts and boat shoes who want to just go in uh, to the most popular club in the world and look at all the crazy shit happening and then, you know, gop at yeah, it. Yeah, that whole bro culture. Yeah. And, and it's, yeah. And it's, so in a sense, I think like in, in the one sense, door policy has been very good at keeping out sort of some of the more toxic elements of bro culture from, from techno spaces. Um, and at the same time, I think it's also open to, it also is open to the abuses you're talking about. But that's just another example of how, like, how there's, there's this wonderful music and culture and scene is just filled with contradictions. <laughs> yeah, and it's an extension of stopping that bro culture. I think that's really been, I think people have been really vocal about within, like, the past, I want to say, like, three or four years. It's just kind of um, making sure women, femmes, are pretty comfortable in within a club because obviously you know with the whole bro culture yeah dudes thinking that they have to like the whole sexual prowess that having to be like dominant over a woman and just flirting and you know feeling entitled to a woman's space so i'm i'm definitely definitely pro getting those kind of guys way out of here you know like you don't need to be in here it's like why are you even here at the club like you're supposed to be listening to music having fun like this is not a freaking episode of the pickup artist or something you know like <laughs> that's what's so that's what's so interesting about Berghain, right is that you is that and my i always just think like it, it, like no one in here has ever gone up to someone and asked for a number you know what i mean yeah when i was in there i did not really get that vibe at all i mean i had like people walking up to me in like a respectful manner and flirting and talking but they were just initiating like normal combos but generally you could tell that people were there for more an enthusiast level like people were definitely there for the music and i noticed too i didn't really see any people that looked like they were visually uncomfortable like even like when i'd be on a dance floor i would run into people or bump into them and they'd be like oh sorry like people would move mm -hmm within a way that we're giving people space and respect so it was pretty cool to be able to see that yeah it's because well it's because it's and i think this is one of the things where like we talk about sort of that te techno's defining value is its intensity and it's there and so everyone's there sort of getting hypnotized being sort of in doing their very much doing their own thing and it kind of celebrates that and, it, and it's a culture that rewards obsession i think um but and it doesn't it, and 
and in that sense, I feel again like it is. It it rewards a sort of almost a a a singular obsession that doesn't sort of it doesn't pay off in ways that are sort of easily marketable. Um, and again, going back to these sort of tensions and contradictions, unless of course you're one of the super famous DJs <laughs> or record label owners. Um, but so I mean, one of the one of the things I think we've been dancing around is how how sort of techno remains. Um, I'm not going to say that sort of you know going to Berghain and dancing is praxis, but how it sort of, how it nonetheless, despite, you know, all the fact that it has in some ways been co-opted by capital, how it remains a sort of, an, an, at least a sem an anti-capitalist or at least somewhat anarchist space. Yeah, I'm thinking, it, I think it just, it just boils down back to, it, this, it's so unique with this form of music. It, I mean, it's like, just trying to present it in a physical form it's not like it's it's not something you can easily grasp like it's so fluid so whenever it i mean people do it but whenever they would like try to market within like this kind of capitalist scheme it always just ends up becoming like, like super corny and commodified um i'm thinking mostly because to even even though i'm very much into like um regionalism and ha making sure people know about like specific forms of techno from different regions or whatever i think at its heart techno is very decentralized mm. because people can replicate um different styles and whatnot you could literally have like some kid in japan and make a record that sounds like it was came out in detroit in like 1994 like this whole idea like this whole futurism it definitely seems like very very stateless and very decentralized just like knocking down abolishing like all of those walls you know yeah that, i think that's 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 a big part of it that it's it's that it's like, like at, at some point you know to make music you needed to own an instrument and you know someone needed to come and see you with that instrument that you were able to hold in your hand right like i'm i'm playing the fiddle come out come down to the old opry to see me play the fiddle um it's my fiddle yeah um, but then, sort of, as as we get to sort of like material, like like um, uh, technological reproduction, right? Um, we start to be able to make records, and all of a sudden, you can sort of see the record. When you see the record as an instrument, me playing that record or me playing that wa that wave file or whatever, um, my possession, sort of transform and transformation of that of that of that piece of information, doesn't sort of restrict anyone else's use of it. So it's there. It, it's it's a it is a vision, and it was behind this vision. It's like all electronic music is, of like creating music that's free of property. Yeah, and I'm glad you bring that up because it reminds me of like how people they fetishize gear and like having making music on hardware. Like when these guys in Detroit, Chicago, etc., were making this music, they were making it out of necessity. So like the specific gear that they had, like to them. It wasn't about the gear. It was about them trying to create a specific futuristic sound. I think if those guys were my age now and they had access to like all the digital computers and stuff, I couldn't even imagine like what kind of stuff they would make now. And so right now, I think with this, with, with like easy accessibility in terms of technology of like smartphones, laptops, Macs, PCs, or whatever, it's in my opinion is like more exciting than ever because you can have a kid make a whole record using his iphone and plenty of 
people have. So it's it eliminates this whole thing um, of this whole form of musicianship compared to other styles of music. Say, for example, like rock or whatever, where, oh, you got to have this really expensive um, guitar made by some guy from like Tennessee, or, you know, whatever. Yeah. Like that whole that that's all eliminated it's all decentralized like everything's a go it's open season you can make music on whatever you got make this record and i could like send it to a guy in london and he could play it the same night you know to me i think think that's that was their interpretation of the future it was just completely decentralized and let people anybody have access to things and just you know be as creative as you can well it's like um i think that's why like 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 rock music would never work for this kind of thing a because it's boring but B, <laughs> because, because um it's all with because of the the central there's that central focus on the singer and the musicians kind of fade into the background a little bit um where it's like it's always obvious what's a led zeppelin song what's a rolling stone song whatever because they have their words and they have their voices and it's about this message whereas with a with a techno song you know you might know because you already know the song or you know that producer's style but it's much less obvious sort of who is responsible for which element of the set. And it's sort of that sort of share and it at, at, at its best. That's not currently how it is because everyone just licenses their tracks through Beatport. But <laughs> at its, at its best, it is this sort of, it is this vision of kind of a post-market sharing ecosystem. Yeah. It, and yeah, it's because it, it's literally not even physical, you know, it's like, it, it's so weird. We're, Everybody that's into this music, we're essentially we're obsessed with something that technically doesn't exist. And like, <laughs> you know, it's like this. It's just like this gray area of just. It's it's such a strange concept, but it it works though. But you can imagine it. Well, it's po- it's you can imagine it as being sort of unowned and having the concept of ownership not be necessary for it. But of course, because we live in hell world. Um, instead, now people are paying top like top dollar for like a Roland three hundred three drum machine, so they can try to make music just like Kevin Saunderson did. In the 80s. <laughs> yeah, you know, it, it's it's ironic. I I remember I tweeted a few days ago how like you would see guys on music forums, they'd be like, oh, um, I want to learn how to make this specific record by I don't know some guy from the hague netherlands or whatever and they'd be like oh um that's like a specific 909 drum kick and then this a person would spend thousands on like a modular synthesizer and a drum machine and then a few months later the resident advisor or mix mag or whatever would interview this musician and it'd be like oh yeah um i made that sound just i recorded a bird outside on my iphone and just edited in ableton you know it's just like guys like come on like think outside the box you know one one other thing that's one sort of comparison that kind of has been sort of festering in the back of my festering is not the right word one that's been percolating in the back of my mind for for like sort of i think for about 20 minutes now um is that a lot of kids in the very same situation in london sort of uh, where they were sort of created uh, a grime music right? yeah where where they were they were answering the same question as like the belleville three and underground resistance were in the 80s in detroit where they're responding to like the sort of intense pressurization of um of the sort of new labor's sort of just criminalizing being poor and yeah. black um by sort of retreating into their bedrooms opening up pirated versions of fruity loops and then creating again like really sort of hyper futuristic technical 
almost like you need to be a nerd to make it music. yeah it's crazy uh, and, but then those guys was like making stuff on then, playstations too it's like whoa you know hell yeah like that's why it's 140 bpm is that or that's why it's usually 140 bpm is that's the default speed on um on fruity wow. loops yeah, it says, and 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 so it just it it's these these things that just sort of are born by accident, right? Like so, the Belleville the Belleville three they have access to a a relatively limited amount like like range of synthesizers, and so working within sort of creative constraints, they create this incredible kind of music. The same thing, like these guys are working on PlayStations with pirated versions of fucking whatever, and they create this incredible kind of music, and then the and then sort of mainstream radio just finds it so hard to yeah. market and so <laughs> it would be it, like it's it called urban of... music as the english would call it yeah <laughs> what do you yeah. call it <laughs> it's it's funny um, that you bring that up because it it goes back to the whole idea of afrofuturism so when kids in like south london and whatnot were making grime it's that's literally just of natural evolution of that whole diaspora um, of blackness is essentially creating something out of nothing like necessity. And so like through grime, you can see and hear the origins of like the whole um, with like the Jamaican and Caribbean immigration and even them interacting with like people uh, with the Southeast Asians, like that whole diaspora being like, so many different people within a tight space but still having like this kind of diaspora angst so it's like okay we're going to take this and create something out of nothing it's yeah it's super interesting even just like the just the origins of like grime and the whole the whole uk hardcore continuum um you could trace that all the way back to even connected to like techno and then if you connect that techno to like stuff from like jamaica and whatnot that whole diaspora it's like it, it's basically born within afrofuturism it's the same thing being birthed out of two different entire areas of the world but still having like these little things that connect them to the bigger picture you know and i think that's why john mcturnan's a fucking idiot <laughs> <laughs> yeah that was such a generalization what he said it, it's deeper than that and absolutely, and I think that sort of that's like, that feels sort of nicely kind of kind of wrapped up um, uh, to me. But I wanted to ask you further. Again, most of our listeners aren't into techno yet, but maybe now some of them are. Um, what would you say to a guitar music devotee who is you're trying to convince that sort of techno is actually worthwhile? Again, even though we don't need to because it fucking rules. Hmm. I would say to them. Because most, I've been seeing like this um, resurgence of people who come from rock backgrounds getting more into techno. Honestly, for them, I would show them more like industrial things and how that connects to techno. For example, I guess more like noisier sounding techno, techno stuff made with like, I don't know, guitar pedals and loops and whatnot. Um, honestly, if if i wanted to get a rock person into techno i would honestly like put them on, onto like post-punk records um stuff like minimal wave and whatnot because with that it, it generally pretty much intersects with dance music so if i were them i would check out stuff like record label like minimal wave ran by like veronica vasica um i would even tell them to check out stuff by the british murder boys like regis um surgeon that whole like uk birmingham sound um it's pretty much a direct connection 
in my opinion, from rock into dance music. That'd be a really good start. Hell yeah. Uh, although actually, that did bring up one thing I kind of I kind of forgot, which is sort of something I think about all the time. That idea of of in, of the in, of industrial is that like we we sort of imitate the sounds around us, right? And that it's no coincidence that I think tech that's why why techno sounds so industrial is that it's sort of it, it has the factories in its imagination. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it's 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 born of a place it's no no coincidence that it's born of places full of factories because that's the kind of that's the sound that you hear and it's the sound that you sort of know is your economic reality. Whether you're it, whether you're working at them or specifically not working at them. Yeah, that's probably why people threw the parties in factories. Even that's why when I went to Bergheim, I was like, okay, this clicks. Like actually physically being in that whole architectural space, it's just like, whoa, yeah, okay. It was a power station. Yeah, like this makes perfect sense. That like infinite connection to the Midwest. You know, people working in factories. What I was like, oh, okay, yeah, this makes perfect sense. You know, the whole post-industrialization. Yeah, and I think, but also at the same time, I think that's why a lot of people sort of who might have more anxiety might really sort of enjoy enjoy techno because it is so sort of grounded and connected. And earlier you were saying that it's this expression of angst um, and whether that angst is economic angst or just sort of more generalized, I, I think it's, it's, it's absolutely a, a fabulous way to sort of understand and express it. Exactly. Oh, man. All right. Um, so anything you want to, uh, anything you want to, uh, want to promote you, we, I know we, we have a SoundCloud. I've been, I've been checking it out. Um, anything coming up, any shows in, in Europe you're going to play in the next uh, couple months? So I'm actually open all autumn and winter. So, um, any promoters, if you would like to have <laughs> me play your parties in North America or Europe, ideally, uh, just hit me up at soundcloud.com slash he Valencia, or you could just hit me up at twitter.com slash he Valencia. It's he underscore Valencia. Um, I'm pretty receptive. I'm like super active on Twitter. Yeah. Um, other than that, just shouts out to everybody in Europe. Um, shouts out to Danilo, um, Joe, um, all of my hosts in Amsterdam, in Berlin and whatnot. Um, shouts out to Sherard uh my mentor and other than that shout out to twitter fam and thank you for listening i hope y'all book yeah. me just book me please <laughs> <laughs> uh and uh, at uh at trash future we of course would like to thank um uh ginseng for here we go our theme song however i think let's play let's play them out with something else this time all right so uh Aloysia, thank you very much for coming on today thank you i appreciate it all right all right, later everybody.